Robert Murray joins me today to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, a team that was one game away from the World Series. Robert writes for the Athletic MLB, so if you're in the market for some baseball stuff, check him out. Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. All right, so we do have Robert Murray with us. Robert, we're going to go through the Brewers system, and we're going to talk about who we can expect on 2019 opening day and throughout the season. We're going to start with catcher. Uh, you just got out of a little meeting with him, actually, Yasmani Grandal. Yasmani Grandal is now the starting catcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. How are you kind of feeling about that and how it should go this year? Yeah, so for the Brewers, this was a guy that they went in the offseason and they liked him a lot. And the only thing that really hurt their chances of signing him was his price tag. It was expected that he was going to end up signing a, a multi-year deal worth probably about 15 or so million dollars per year. And they kept in contact with him and throughout the process, they um, were told by Yasmani specifically or like he specifically told them that Milwaukee was the place that he wanted to play. And it was just about making a deal work. And in reality, they were able to make a deal done um, at one year, $18.25 million. And he's going to provide something that they have lacked for the last few years. Jonathan Lucroy left. And that's an option behind the plate that can both one play really good defense and hit as well. And Grundahl is also a switch hitter. He can hit for power, and he's excited. And he mentioned the fact multiple times today that he is going to be able to hit more home runs in Milwaukee considering the right field is more home run fr- friendly than Petco Park or Dodger Stadium, too. So Craig Council is going to have a lot of different options in the lineup with him because they can move him all over, and having him be a switch hitter provides versatility as well. So from a lot of different aspects, including defense, too, which is fantastic, I think this this is a signing that makes a lot of sense for the Brewers, especially considering that it's for one guaranteed season. I think it's a huge upgrade from what was there prior. I mean, no offense to the other guys. And Yasmani cut out a lot of flack at the end of the year for his defense just because of the pass balls and the playoffs. And, you know, he had Austin Barnes breathing down his neck. I mean, Dodger fans chanting Austin at one point, which is very strange to me considering what Yasmani's done for that franchise at that position uh, when he was in L.A. But he should be a huge upgrade. Uh, and we're going to go to first base. This is kind of like a like a tale of two people, in my opinion. You have you have Eric Thames, who, I mean, had a phenomenal la- last year, not the, not this year, obviously, not as good as the, uh, last year. Then you have Jesus Aguilar, who seems to be under control forever and seems to be a big piece of this team. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned Eric Thames, actually. So something that both Ken Rosenthal both heard is that Thames could be a trade piece. He could be expendable considering his salary is, is relatively on the expensive side for 2019. And considering that the Brewers are going to want to free up a little bit of money considering that Grandal is on board, he makes the most sense as a trade candidate. And there's another one in Matt Albers as well who could make sense. And there's been rumors going around here that he could end up being the guy that's moved. Um, but if we're going to focus on the first base position right now, the guy is going to be Jesus Aguilar. And last year he really bust out onto the scene and, and played at a high level and a level I don't even think the Brewers really anticipated being possible for him. 
yet he was hitting home runs. And something that really isn't talked about with him often is his ability to go to the opposite field. And that is something they put on display a lot. He had the most RBIs, I believe, with two strikes or two outs. Uh, one of those two. I can't remember specifically which one. But either way, um, Aguilar is probably going to end up being the guy that gets most of the time there. And, and whether it's Thames or another option that they have on the roster uh, that gets uh, or that gets playing time at first base, I'm not sure. But Jesus Aguilar is going to end up being the guy that really gets a lot of time there. So we kind of blew by him when we went through the catcher position. Kind of give me like the profile on what what Jake uh, what Jacob Nottingham is going to be to this team I mean he's listed as a catcher and a first baseman do you see him getting any time or is he going to be a guy that starts out in San Antonio and kind of sits there for a minute yeah I think it's it's smart to bring up Nottingham and he's a guy that the Brewers like and one point that was brought up at the press conference today that I did not really think about but it makes a lot of sense is that the guy of you know Grindall's caliber uh, for one year on this team is going to allow Nottingham to one sit and continue to learn, but two also learn from Grandal. Um, and I think he can learn how to call a game more properly. I'm not saying he doesn't have that ability now. Um, but when you have a guy like Yasmina Grandal, you can always pick his brain Then you have Eric Kratz and Manny Pena there too. And I think Nottingham is prim- primarily going to start the season off in San Antonio barring a trade of either Eric Kratz or Pena, uh, which could be entirely possible. But if there is one that's traded, I would imagine it would be Kratz. Um, but Nottingham is a guy that he can hit. He can play good defense as well. The, the pitchers in Milwaukee are really high on him, and they think he's got a bright future. And he's full of energy, too. You should see him move around the clubhouse. That guy, uh, he probably has the most energy on the Brewers roster, and that's saying something because he's he's just a lightning bug. And uh, it's I think he's going to end up having a future in Milwaukee. I just don't think it's going to be this season. Right. So he has a future in the organization, which is awesome to hear. Uh, let's continue to talk about somebody who has a future on the organization. Keston Hira. I mean, what can't you say about this guy? I mean, he's the number one prospect for this organization. He's going to probably play second base, I would imagine. Is he a guy that starts out in San Antonio? I mean, you have a guy like Hernan Perez and Spangenberg on the roster, or does he start as the opening day starter for the Milwaukee Brewers? Yeah, uh, David Stearns, their general manager, has, has said that he will not be on the opening day roster this year, and they are going to be patient with him. It's it's unclear whether or not he's going to start off in double or triple A. Um, but his ability as a player is unique in the fact that his hitting is extremely well advanced uh, for a player of his age. And I, I mentioned yesterday in a different radio spot that I had a rival scouting director tell me that in all the years he's been watching players at the double A level, he's never seen a hitter at the um, at the level or the caliber of Keston here at that level. And he was just blown away by his hitting. And then the only question mark with him is his defense. And he really, there's some people that believe that he's not going to be a second baseman in the future. There's some people that believe that his future actually could be in the outfield or even as a designated hitter. Um, but for the Brewers, I would imagine at this point, it would end up being at second base considering the need. But when Ryan Braun eventually comes off the books after the 2020 season, I believe, I mean, there could be an option there to move him to the outfield. But I think his his future in Milwaukee, if he stays, um, will be at second base. And and going off of the point I just mentioned, I do not believe he's going to be a trade piece. I, I do not see any scenario in which the Brewers trade Keston Hero. So who are we thinking is the opening day 
starter at second base. Is it Hernan Perez? I mean, that seems to be the likely option. Yeah, I would say it's Hernan Perez at this point. Um, yeah, he, he's a guy that he people really don't know much about him, but last year when he played, he provided a spark both offensively and defensively. I'm not saying he's a guy that you can comfortably start for 140 games, but if you need a spot start here and there, you can do a lot worse than Aaron Perez. But I expect the Brewers to actually um, address the second base position before spring training gets here. That's that's definitely exciting, especially when you see a guy like uh, Dave, my co-host, and I were talking about the fact, you know, where would perfect spots be for guys? And we were going through the Brewers and, you know, thinking about, you know, what fits here. And DJ LeMahieu seemed to be the name that we thought. And, of course, now he's a Yankee, so that ship has sailed. But like I told you before, we're both Red Sox fans, Dave and I, and you, the Red, the Brewers made a trade with the Red Sox a couple of years ago, it seems like. It might have been only a year ago for Tyler Thornburg. And we gave up one of the most loved Red Sox in all of Red Sox Nation and Travis Shaw, and he has absolutely blossomed as a Brewer. Yeah, his, his game has really taken on a whole new level here. And I think of all the things that, has happened in his career. I think the smooth transition that he had from third to second base last year um, in the second half of the season and in the postseason was one of the more surprising things. He he moved over there. I'm not going to say seamlessly because there were some issues and he he wasn't able to turn two the most effectively. But for the most part, that transition for him was really really smooth. Um, and he really he didn't look like a liability out there. He actually looked like he belonged. But this year, unless they re-sign Mike Moustakas, he's going to end up being back at third base, his, his natural position. So I think he's going to end up being a lot more comfortable there. But then from the offensive side of the thing, he is another guy that can hit for power in that lineup. And they they have a lot of those guys. And with Grandal on board, they have yet another one. But Shaw is a pure left-handed hitter. He's right there with one of the he's, – he's right there as a third baseman in terms of – uh, offensive ability. He strikes out a little bit uh, too much for um, some people's likings, but for the, for the most part, he's, he's one of the more solid third basemen. And, and I'm sure as a Red Sox fan, you are uh, not exactly thrilled with that trade. Um, but yeah, it really worked out for the Brewers. Definitely not thrilled, especially with production or lack thereof from Tyler Thornburg health and otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Thornburg, I mean, he uh, he should be back this year, shouldn't he? Yeah, he, they actually just re-signed him to a to an actually cheap deal, so that's pretty exciting that we finally get to see him pitch for more than twenty games. Hopefully, yeah, so, no doubt. Yeah, he's going to end up being a, a decent piece for him if he can stay healthy. So help me out with Orlando Arcia. Kind of give me the profile on him and what to expect from him. Yeah, so I'm going to start off with his defense because I think when you talk about Orlando Arcia, that's exactly where you need to start. And his defense is probably, I would say, at this point of his career, top five in baseball. Um, he is an elite defender by every definition of the word. Uh, there's some plays that he can pull off that are just ridiculously good. It was just his offense that was holding him back from really taking that next step. And then you got to see it all started in Chicago for game 163 of the regular season when his offensive game really took on a whole new life. And he was in, he, he started driving the ball. He was hitting balls into gaps. He was his early in the season. He was a guy that he, he would swing and you would ask yourself, what is he doing? And then by the end of the year, he looked like he belonged at the plate. And I'm curious to see if he can make that 
I'm, I'm curious to see if you can bring that over for next year, considering that they just got a new hitting coach. Uh, went from Darnell Coles to Andy Haynes. Uh, Haynes is from the, the Chicago Cubs. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see if he can, if you can bring that over. Um, I, I'm not exactly the most optimistic, but um, he showed enough late in the season that makes you wonder if it was sustainable. And you have the ability with him to be kind of patient because you still have him under control. I mean, through our, let's say, uh, till 2022. So patience is something that you're allowed to have with him, especially when you have guys around probably not going to be coming up as fast. I mean, you you probably won't see Bryce Terang until 2022, which is actually the year that uh, he that uh, RCA finally gets out of R. But there's pieces around him, and having the pop around him should protect him and allow him to hit better in this lineup next year, I would think. Yeah, I would think so too. And another thing I wanted to mention as well with Travis Shaw's transition to second base was Orlando Arcia's defense and his range at shortstop made Travis Shaw's his role at second base a lot easier and so too to the shifts and it, it really it should not be discounted um how important orlando arcia was for the brewers defense being as good as it was in the infield even with uh i, I can't remember the exact phrasing that one of the brewers called it last year but it was something along the lines of an offensive lineman uh, or an offensive line infield i should say literally um, they were so big yeah, no, they they were some big boys in there, and uh, they ended up making it work, and they came within one game of the World Series. So I think one console deserves a lot of credit, but so too does Orlando Arcia for his defense. So let's uh, before we before we kind of shift to the outfield real quick, kind of tell me the job that Craig Council did. Is it different than what you've seen in years past with other managers, or was it uh, was it more like tactical? It was. That's a really good question, and it's it's hard to describe exactly the word for the job that Craig Council did last year, but I would use a word close to masterful. And he had to move a, around a lot of different options there with, one, the depth in the bullpen, and two, the depth that he had throughout the entire lineup. And it seemingly it was a different lineup day in and day out to maximize the offense's potential against a specific pitcher. And there'd be one day that Travis Shaw would be batting third, then the next he'd be batting seventh. And the only two real constants in the lineup were at one and two with Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. After that, it was all hands on deck, and you really did not know what to expect coming into the day. Um, but I think his work with the bullpen, and I think you can credit this to one Derek Johnson, who ended up leaving um, – for the Cincinnati Reds in a lateral move for the pitching coach job, as well as the analytics department uh, with Milwaukee. And that's something they really delve into um, in terms of the bullpen. And it, it really, it started with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. Um, and Woodruff was a guy that was famously known for the opener and um, in other scenarios in which they used him creatively. And he ended up pitching four, five, six innings and being really effective. And then Corbin Burns too, um, his ability to come out of the bullpen as a rookie. Um, prior to that point, he only had about three years of pitching experience. And here he was pitching in the NLCS, mowing down the Dodgers lineup or, or taking down the Colorado Rockies lineup too. I thought the job that he did really was impressive. And you, 
you can go, if we had a lot more time here, I could go even more in depth. Um, but the job he did all around was really, really good. And I know some people disagree, but when you really study it and when you get to see it from a, in person on a daily basis, it really is, uh, an impressive job by Craig Council. Yeah, and at the end of the year, I was to the point to where I was like, I don't even think that there's a question who the NL Manager of the Year is. He did such a good job. I mean, apparently I've heard that it was his idea to move Travis from third to second so that they could fit everybody and basically help a need on this team. And, you know, not every manager makes that move. No, it. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this properly, but it it takes a uh, a set of stones to do that. And he could have easily been proven way wrong with that. But he, one, had the data, and two, he had the support from both Shaw and his teammates to pull it off. So he ended up doing it, and lo and behold, it worked out very well for the most part. And he deserves credit for that. This one should be pretty quick. We're going to talk about the outfield. Uh, Ryan Braun is still on this team one of the few holdovers from the 2000s at this point. And actually, I think the only holdover probably, right? Yeah, he was the only guy remaining from their last playoff team. Jeez. Well, he's still on the roster, but you had two additions to this team from the offseason last year. You had Lorenzo Cain patrolling center field, who's actually under a pretty good contract, in my opinion at least, uh, only never making more than $17 million. But the best contract on this entire roster, outside of probably Hater, is, I mean, it's Christian Yelich. MVP Christian Yelich. Did you ever think prior to the prior to the offseason last, uh, prior to the season this year, that Christian Yelich would be the MVP this year? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think we all saw it coming. No, I, in all seriousness, um, I, I was a huge Christian Yelich fan when he was in Miami. And when the Brewers acquired him, I was extremely curious to see the package in return. And lo and behold, it, it featured Lewis Brinson at the top and Isan Diaz and, and a few others. There was one pitcher in there. Uh, I can't remember the specific name off the top of my head. Um, but we're going to start off with Brinson here. When I saw that Brinson was in it, it made a lot of different, it made a lot of sense in the fact that there was a wide belief in the scouting community that he was more of an athlete than he was a baseball player. And there was some doubts whether or not he would actually be able to put it together. And for the most part, so far, that has been proven to be correct. I'm not saying that he can't. Um, just because you never want to count on a guy like that who's so supremely talented and more physically gifted than most people on this earth. Um, but Christian Yelich is by all, as I mentioned before with other pieces on the Brewers roster, he's elite by every sense of the word. Um, he is a guy that is a franchise changing player and that is the exact kind of package or the, the exact kind of player that you want. And the fact that one, he's really good defensively. I don't think that people really look into that with him. They, I know he's got negative defensive ratings, but when you see him on a daily basis, he's not a bad defender. And then when you talk about his offensive production, he can hit for power. His, his batting practices are a sight to behold. And this might sound um, crazy on the surface, but I had a lot of play or a lot of players, including Eric Kratz, tell me that it was like watching Ichiro, um, in the sense that he was so consistent in hitting the ball further than anybody else in batting practice, and he was able to translate it to the field, and he was able to turn it into one of the best seasons in Brewers history. And is success like that sustainable? 
I'm not going to say at that level um, because that would be pretty hard. And I don't think uh, it would be very tough for him to do that. But at the same time, I think he can be a franchise caliber player for a long, long time. And you got to remember, he's in his early 20s and he's still going. He's still learning his body and he's still growing into it as well. Um, so I think the arrow is going to continue to point up for Yelich. I don't think he's going to put up the same numbers. But I think in other aspects of his game, he's going to improve, and he's just going to be better and better and better, which is a scary thought for the rest of the league. So when I saw that trade, the first thing that I thought of was they basically took Lewis Brinson and what they wanted him to be, took Brinson and Diaz and a couple and a, and a pitcher, and made got Christian Yelich for a lot of years. By the way, it's it's a long contract. He's still under contract for a while, but you took what you wanted Brinson to be and went and got it. You got Christian Yelich back, who basically is top. I mean, he was an MVP. Like, let's put it that way. I don't even have to say top anything. He was the uh, National League MVP. Uh, He can put the ball wherever he wants. Just like you said, the Ichiro comparison is awesome, in my opinion. And he, like you said, franchise changer. He adds an element to to this lineup that they didn't have before. There was never a guy on this roster, in my opinion, that could literally just basically pick a field and put it there. And he adds everything to this team, and I think that was a big boost. It was, and I can tell you, there is no way the Brewers would get where they were without Christian Yelich. And when they had to pull off that move, uh, David Stearns, a general manager, ended up going to the ownership and said, this is what we want to do, and we're not going to only just get this guy, but we're going to get Lorenzo Cain. And when, when you make that kind of move for a guy like Christian Yelich, you have to weigh the factor of him having proven big league success versus prospects. I know Brinson had some major league experience, but really not too much. And prospects, for the most part, are unknowns, while Yelich is a guy that's proven that he can be effective at the big league level. And I think that was a move that, when they considered all the factors, was one that they needed to make. And for one year, and I think for a lot longer, David Stearns is going to be called the general manager that really changed baseball in Milwaukee for a long, long time. So we're going to talk about Lorenzo Cain here in a second, but we're going to kind of deep dive into prospects. If you had to, if you had to pick your favorite three outfield prospects in the system, the number one guy that I'm really high on for the Brewers would be Corey Ray. Um, He's a guy that has speed in the outfield. He doesn't exactly have the strongest arm, but he's got upside with his bat. Um, And he's a guy that the Brewers in some parts are really high on. And I know that they've had guys or they've had other teams call about him. And he's been rumored in a possible package for a guy like Madison Bumgarner. And from all the things I can gather, Bumgarner is not going to end up in Milwaukee. Um, While he's a guy that that could make sense because they could really use a top of the rotation arm, I don't think a Bumgarner type is going to be really in their budget at this point. Um, But yeah, I I would say that Corey Ray is the, the number one guy for for me in that farm system. And then I would say the other one would be Tristan Lutz. Um, he is a guy that is only 20 years old and I believe he's about six, three, uh, two ten in that range. Massive, and huh? yeah, he's, he's a big boy. He's, uh, I believe he was drafted in 2017. I want to say it nailed it. it. Oh, did I? Okay, sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually not good with years, but he's a guy that he's got power. Um, and he's got a good arm as well. But the only real concern with him is he strikes out a lot. And I believe 
if we're going to go with numbers here, I'll say 140 strikeouts last year. I was More just strikeouts than hits. Yep, 139. You're killing it. Okay, no, I'm doing real well at this point, so I'm happy with myself. But he's a guy that some people are really high on, and he could also be a trade bait if they don't want to move a guy like Corey Ray. Um, their farm system, or at least their top 30, is loaded with outfielders, and they can have a lot of different flexibility there. So if we're really looking at their two top outfield prospects, I would say it would be Corey Ray and Tristan Lutz. Yeah, and you, you we, we just talked about Lorenzo Cain a second ago. Uh, as, like I said, a Red Sox fan, we look at Lorenzo Cain as Jackie Bradley Jr. with a bat. If Lorenzo Cain, the way Lorenzo Cain patrols center field, you don't even have to worry about your left and right fielders and what they do. He patrols so much ground, especially in that ballpark, to where it's it's like a, you become used to it. You become, you watch it so many times that it's like, oh, Lorenzo Cain made that play? That's cool. Yeah, and it's, it's funny is I've seen a lot of the Kansas City Royals writers like Andy McCullough, um, Rustin Dodd, and, and plenty of others that have covered that team mention the fact how much they took his defense for granted and how much fun it was to watch on a daily basis. So when I get to watch Lorenzo Cain um, patrol the outfield, it is, it's, a, it's a joy to watch considering how easy he makes it look. And when he first started off in terms of a, a baseball player with his hitting, he was not very good. Um, it took a lot of work and, and Ned Yost said it was, I believe in a Rustin story, um, that it was, his swing was ugly and you really didn't know how he would be able to make an impact. Well, first off, it started with his glove and then it transitioned into a sneaky good hitter and he's got the ability. You can see him do it in batting practice. I mentioned before how Christian Yelich can hit the, hit the ball 500 feet, like no problem. Um, Lorenzo Kane probably does not hit a baseball further than 250 feet. And he just tries to go the other way with it, and he just tries to hit it in all different sorts of angles. It's really unique, and I've known Craig Council has, has spoken about it too. And it's just it's so unique, yet it makes so much sense considering how Lorenzo Kane is as a player. And I think that was a really, really good sign, even though Christian Yelich uh, fairly uh, overshadows it. So we're going to get to starting pitching here in a second, just because I know starting pitching is one of the – when I look at the roster, at least, it seems to be one of the bigger holes. Uh, let's talk about my favorite acquisition in the entire offseason so far by any team, and I know this is going to sound really weird. That Alexander Claudio deal is amazing. The fact that you didn't have to give up that much to get a reliever like that and to basically bolster this bullpen even more is incredible. Yeah, so when the deal was initially made, um, we knew that he was an effective reliever. Um, and... Last year, it really wasn't that successful for him. And David Stern says it was a lot of balls finding holes in the infield. And when you, you look at the numbers, I mean, that backs it up. Uh, there are some other stats that really kind of threw a little damper on that. But he is a guy the Brewers are clearly high on. And when you surrender a pick, that'll be in about the forty number 40 overall range. Uh, there's clearly reason why they're optimistic. And he's a guy that... He, he does not throw very hard at all. He throws in the mid-80s, and he is the ideal complement to Josh Hader, considering their contradictory styles. Well, Hader throws in the mid-90s, mid to upper 90s, I should say. He throws that soft. Um, it, it's a really good mix, and I think the Brewers really thought that one through. And they kind of 
they bought low on him, and I think this that was a, a really smart move by David Stearns in the front office. Well, that's that's a guy that you can buy low on just because of the fact that nobody else seemed to be looking at him. And I think the same is going to be said for another Texas reliever in Jose LeClerc later in the season. But we normally talk 7, 8, 9 with bullpens, but I don't think that that would do this bullpen any justice because it is loaded top to bottom. I mean, you know, everybody talked about the Oakland bullpen last year and how good that was after the trade deadline. Trade deadline. I would take this would... over ending. Yeah, and I would not blame you. Um, I'm going to mention there's 7, 8, 9 guys, even though you, you said you weren't going to. But there's 7, 8, 9 of either Josh Hader, uh, Corey Knable, or Jeremy Jeffress in uh, various different orders because they use them all over the place. Um, was really, really good. And I know they had different struggles with them last year with Jeffress struggling in the playoffs. And I believe a, a huge reason for that was the fact that he just got tired and, and overworked. Um, and then Corey Knable in the midseason was sent down to AAA. And then when he returned, he was flat out awesome. Um but the thing is, is they had the depth last year and they're going to be losing two of those guys and Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, who are both likely going to the starting rotation. So they ended up bringing in, as you mentioned before, Alex Claudio and then Bobby Wall from the Mets. And he might not start off in the major leagues. He might start off in AAA where he did really well for the Mets last year. Um but he's a guy that Brewers are really high on, and his strikeout rate is really, really good. I believe he struck about struck out about 15 to 16 batters every nine innings. And he is a guy that they believe can be a difference maker if you channel his command issues. And that's going to be the big issue with them. But from a 7-8-9 standpoint and from other standpoints as well with the bullpen, I think they're going to be in very good shape. Uh, always got to give a shout out to anybody that went to Texas. Corey Knable, obviously Texas Longhorn, always excited to watch him. Can you? <laughs> oh, you have to. Oh, I got yeah. to. I got to. I got. I have got to have you at least put into words the season that Josh Hader had. I don't think I've ever seen a better season from a reliever, and he had a little controversy in there too, and he still came back and dominated. Yeah, that was. That entire uh, the All Star Game situation, the unfortunate one, um, happened right as I started off in the beat, and that was my first three stories that I had to cover, um, which was not exactly great. But um, it, the way the teammates rallied around Hater and and truly believed that he was a changed person was unique. Um, I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not saying what he said was was correct. Um, I think it was it was very hurtful and very sad what he said um but from his ability to dominate on the mound there was not a hitter really besides anthony Rizzo that could touch him um it was it basically when a hitter walked up to the plate against josh Hader, you you did not ask whether or not this guy was going to get a hit you were asking yourself okay how many pitches is it going to take for this guy to strike out and that is one of the very few times i've ever really thought that Yet it was, for the most part, it held true. And he's been, he's been really, really, really good. And as you mentioned earlier in this, he's under contract cheaply. And he's just, the Brewers window right now with guys like Christian Yelich and Hader and other players signed cheaply, um, their window is going to be open for quite a while. It's the biggest window in the National League, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and you, you, you're getting it at the exact right time because I think we, at least for people with scouts and everything else, we think this Padres window is going to start around 2022, and that'll that'll I'm sure they'll go back and forth for years to come. 
But Hader, in my opinion, was a guy that if you had MLB TV and you heard that he was on the mound, you had to flip over to the Brewers game. He was absolute must-see TV because he just blew people by. And he was only in there for, like, innings at a time. And then, he, of course, he infamously had the the huge game where he seemed like he struck out a million in one appearance. But I, I love watching Hater pitch. Yeah, he's he's a guy that – and, I mean, I don't have to considering that I, um, I cover the Brewers. But if I had to um, – pay to go to a game and I had to choose which one and I knew Josh Hader was was as a fact going to be pitching in that game I would go and watch that game just because I think Hader is one of the few pitchers or relief pitchers I should say that I would pay to go watch pitch because he's that good it's so hard to find guys like that when you're a reliever that's like hey you you know watch this but he's got it uh let's go to the starting pitching and we'll finish off with this Kind of help me out with the starting pitching. It's kind of a island of misfit toys. It seems like. Yeah, it's besides the the uh, the second base position. I would say this is probably one of the more big. Or it's got more question marks than than other aspects of this team. And I'm not saying it doesn't have the talent um, because it certainly does. Uh, the, the only reason it has question marks is because these guys for the most part, are unproven as starters. And they are scheduled to go in with at least three guys who are either going to be in their first or second year. Uh, Corbin Burns is going to be moving to the rotation. Uh, Craig Collins said that was 100% happening. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, uh, he was really good in the, in the postseason last year, pitching in either four, five, six innings. Um, and then Freddie Peralta, uh, who's another young guy. They ended up getting in a trade from, for Adam Lind in uh, Seattle. And it's turned out to be one of the best deals or most, it, it was one of the better under the radar deals that Stearns has made. Um, and then you also have Jimmy Nelson returning from injury and whether to be seen if he can return in the bullpen or in the rotation, or if he could even return 100% healthy. And there's optimism from him in separate interviews that he could, he's going to be able to do so. Um, it would not shock me if the Brewers just so they can, possibly maximize this window of contention looked to bring in Wade Miley if the market is not satisfactory to what he's seeking. And that would not shock me considering the, that he ended up having to settle for a minor league deal last year. And there could be some teams that believe that his last year was a fluke. Um, I'm not saying that was because he's, he was one of the more surprising arms last year for the Brewers and considering how effective he was. And um, he added uh, he added some pitches and he added some different little tweaks to it that really allowed him to be effective. So if the Brewers are able to bring him back, I think that'd be a huge victory in their, in their back pocket. Um, but I don't necessarily think that is the most necessary move considering that if it all works out and it's a big if considering how many pieces there are with, as I said before, with Woodruff, Peralta, Burns and Nelson, um, if they can all return and be productive starters, I think they're going to end up being in good shape. Yeah, and in a time to where everybody seems to be misreading their market, whether it be Mike Moustakas last year or you know Manny Machado trying to basically blow himself up and think that he's worth $350 million and now it's going to wind up being around probably 250 to 280 I wouldn't be surprised if Wade Miley signs for cheap. you know. And why wouldn't you come back to a place that you had success? Yeah, and I, I think he would love to come back. Um, I believe there is mutual interest between both sides. And the only thing that I can see 
possibly, and I'm I'm gonna dis, I'm gonna put a huge disclaimer on this. Possibly, see, um, keeping Miley out of Milwaukee would be the fact that they changed pitching coaches, and with Johnson going to Cincinnati, as I mentioned before, and having Chris Hook come back because both uh, with Miley Johnson, th- those two got along very well, and he's widely credited for revitalizing or revamping Miley's career. So I could see that possibly being a reason, but I think for the most part with the amount of the roster that's returning and how well that he fit with this team, I think Wade Miley would come back here in a heartbeat. So give me one name in this Brewer system pitching wise that you're excited about. Oh gosh. The, the thing is, is that they really, at this point, besides um, the young guys that with, with Corbin Burns, with uh, Peralta and Woodruff, I don't think they have anyone that has a, a decent shot of making an impact this year, but if I had to go with one arm, it would end up being a guy like Zach Brown. And he is a guy that is similar in some aspects to Corbin Burns. And I know those two talk quite a bit and they're pretty friendly, but Zach Brown is a guy that they are very, very, very high on. He's got a really good fastball and above average curveball as well. And I believe the Cubs drafted him in the 38th round last year. And he was just a guy that, Continue to get better, and the Brewers ended up giving him a about a four hundred thousand dollars signing bonus after the twenty sixteen draft. And he's a guy that he's he's continuing to develop. He's getting better. Um, I don't know necessarily whether or not um, he's going to make an impact this year, but I think in future seasons he's got a shot to be. I, I don't want to say Corbin Burns potential or anything, but I think he has a shot to be a pretty effective pitcher with his team. So this isn't a team that I would think would be chasing starting pitching, like big starting pitchers. Obviously, all the big wigs are out of this place, but no chance Dallas Keuchel winds up in Milwaukee, right? Yeah, I would say extremely unlikely. I don't think they're going to be actively seeking to give out a a lengthy and lucrative uh, multi-year contract to a guy like Dallas Keuchel or to any of these guys. Yeah, you're not the Nats or the Angels. You don't just spend stupid money. Or, or yeah, same with the Phillies too. They're going to be spending some stupid money. Oh yeah, here. that was a quote. That was the quote of the year right there. Yeah, no. If if I was the reporter that got that one, I would have been uh, doing some jumping jacks. All right, tell the public where they can find you and kind of what you got going on. Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at by Robert Murray, and you can find me on theathletic.com. I cover the Brewers and. And also on Twitter, I do a lot of different national coverage and I report signings and trades and, and all sorts of good stuff. And I have a, a lot of good, I have a lot of fun with that. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter. So I think we're going to have a lot of names at the same, right? When we come down to this, uh, I have at number one, I actually have a breakout star. It takes a lot of talent and a lot of stuff to have a lower ERA at cores than you do on the road. Kyle Freeland's number one for me. Uh, 2018 star Walker Bueller number two, Clayton Kershaw three, Madison Bumgarner number four, and Kirby Yates coming in at number five from San Diego. A little bit of an honorable mention to uh, NL West newbie Luke Weaver, Zach Grinke, and then Kenley Jansen. That's a that's a solid list, and the bottom there is a little surprising. I, I didn't have Kirby in mine. Uh, we have a similar one, though. I have Walker Bueller number one. I mean, the kid's just nasty. He's 24 years old. He throws 100 miles an hour. He's got devastating, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say in quotes, off-speed stuff because he still throws like 90. You know, his movement's sick. He's like 24 years old, like I was saying. He's going to be around for a long time. He's going to be the next Kershaw when, as Kershaw gets older. So he's my number one. Number two, Kyle Freeland. 
the kid's an absolute stud. He does not get rattled. That's one of my favorite things about him. He could give up a leadoff home run and strike out the next 20. He doesn't care. He pitched excellent in the playoffs. He, in, in the wildcard game specifically, he does have a lower ERA at home at Coors Field, which is almost impossible compared to his away. So that's why I have him at number two. Number three, Clayton Kershaw. He is a legend. He's a Hall of Fame pitcher. He's arguably the best Dodgers pitcher of all time. Obviously, Colfax is there, but he's he's unbelievable, especially doing it in today's day and age. So I'm always going to have him in my top three. Uh, my number four is his teammate. It's Kenley Jansen. He had a little bit off year this year. I mean, when your heart is all messed up and you're in and out of the hospital and having procedures, that's going to happen. But when he came back, he was strong. I'll, I'll take the playoffs out. I of think it was pretty impressive series. how he was able to battle all that. It was, and and to come and and he came back. Then he then he got off it again. Then he was on DLA, and then he came back again. And the Dodgers were a mess without him. They were like one in eight at one point, and they had a ton of bullpen problems. They had like four blown saves in a row, and he really anchored it down. So having him at four, the only reliever there for me, just because of how much of a study is. And number five is a split. It's got Zach Greinke, who is Mr. Every Other Year. It seems like every other year he has an all-star year and he kind of struggles here and there. And Matt Bum, who, I mean, a couple of years ago, people would say he was better than Kershaw. He's the best pitcher in the world. Clutch, yes. Postseason, yes. Having trouble staying on the field right now. So I got him at five. Well, you guys have your notes in front of you. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're at home well, in the luxury. Well, you're at work, so. Yeah, well, you know, when you're when you're dealing with, you know, time zones, it's kind of tough to, you know, <laughs> Hey, time, math is hard. Hey, math is not easy. That's partially my fault. I assume <laughs> everyone's on the Pacific, you know, on my time zone, wherever I might be living. And that's like three different time zones and, you know, three different times of the year. So, you know, it's, all, it's always different. But, okay, so I think number one, I think we kind of agreed here was Walker Bueller. Um, you guys just <laughs> – even his time at uh, Vanderbilt, you know, he was just absolutely incredible. Um so uh, he's a, he's a for sure number one. Definitely 2019 is going to be a good year for him. Um, you know, and I think on my number two is going to be uh, – is got to be uh, Mad Bomb. I think he's got to make a case for himself this year. Um, and, and again, I, I'm making my list based on what we should expect from 2019. And I think you're going to see a, a hungry Madison Bumgarner to, to either maybe – put the Giants back on the map um, to where, you know, maybe at the trade trade deadline, they uh, make some moves, um, you know, to maybe sure up up whatever they might be missing. But I I just don't see them being a a postseason team. Um, But they got got a lot of good talent. They got a lot of veteran talent. And so I think Matt Baum's going to come out hungry. He's going to have a good year. Uh, Three, I mean, uh, Kenley Jansen. I mean, uh, you guys – I mean, you pointed it out was he went through, you know, all his heart stuff and was on the DL off the DL. It just was, he was always dealing with something. And even at his best, it wasn't his elite best. And I, and I just think when all his health is good, um, heart's good, everything's good. He's going to be, he's, he's one of the elite pitchers um, in a back end of a rotation of any, of any team in the league. So uh, he definitely got my three. Uh, Four, Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, <laughs> uh, he's, he's always going to be on the list. He has to be. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not knocking him. He should be a one, two, three guy. Absolutely. I just think in my list, I think 
he just slid down because it's I'm going off expectation for 2019. And he's just one of those guys that's always consistent, always pretty much there, even when he's coming off the DL or or whatever, whatever he's got going on. He's just he's just that consistent left-handed pitcher, that that consistent ace in your rotation. And uh and I, I just you just can't get more reliable than Clayton Kershaw. And then when you get into the uh postseason, you know, he found success these this this past uh postseason. So who knows? Maybe he actually comes out, you know, hungry like Mad Bomb and, and gets a ring for the Dodgers and, and kind of, uh, you know, it, it kind of puts that team on his back with Walker, you know, at aiding his side. And um, I think that will be good. Um, and then my number five for sure. Uh, I got to I got to represent my my uh, my other duck here, Tyler Anderson. Um, I don't think his contributions at Coors Field uh are as uh notified um as they should be you know it's a graveyard for pitchers and he kind of gets lost in that but he's very solid and a young guy like you said a former duck who knows what he's doing just like Vanderbilt you guys produce good schools certain baseball schools are better than others and Oregon's always good and I mean Vanderbilt's you know probably one of the top if not the top yeah and I think that might be my only bias pick of all the pitchers I've chosen thus far um, but I, I honestly think, you know, the, with his funky delivery to the way he's pitched at Coors Field, but even more so away from Coors Field, um, as a three, four guy in the rotation, like he's not even the best guy in the rotation and they're still in the hunt for the playoffs the past three years with, with him on the back end of that bullpen. So he's a for sure solid three, four guy. Um, you know, at times he's a one, two guy. Um, you know, he goes through uh you know the mid months uh really strong generally uh if you look at his numbers um and i just i just think he's he's he should be more noted uh for that colorado starting rotation than uh than than he gets credit for because he's he's an absolute work animal he's a he's a workhorse and um he eats up innings for that for that rockies team and so i think that's i think you expect a lot of good things from him uh in 2019 as well um you know moving forward so yeah, I mean, he's a solid pick, and that's a good explanation because I was going to ask why you picked him, and not even on the bias part, it's a solid pick. But, Austin, how, how come Kirby Yates? I mean, there's a lot of big names in this division, a lot of veteran names. You know, you look at the Mad Bums, the Grankies, Jenkson, Kershaw, them. Why is Kirby Yates your number five in a, in a, in a pretty competitive division? Pretty competitive division, you know. Uh, I mean, I basically write for the Padres at this point, and so I get to see a lot of Kirby Yates. What we're what I'm doing with Kirby Yates is I'm putting him out there because I know he's going to be a target at the deadline this year. He's not going to retrieve the same stuff that Brad Hand did last year, but still had an excellent year. Was still great for the Padres organization. I think that he was the most valuable pitcher on that entire roster last year. Well, what if what if the Padres end up going to get Machado or getting a big name superstar, and now they're looking to compete? You know. That's another that's another valuable you know piece. Yates is just such a good piece to have on your roster. I don't even know if he's going to be a, a trade deadline piece, you know, because I don't know which way the Padres are going to finish out this <laughs> this off season, you know. Yeah, I mean this off season is interesting because the big fish are still in the market with Machado and Harper, and with Harper having rumors to you know you know in one team in Philadelphia, and Machado had some rumors there too for a little bit, but it looks like you know. Uh, Harper over Manny there. With the Padres, they have a couple things. They've been linked to Machado recently. They are that mystery team, or some say they are. 
And I think the other side of it is, you know, if they go get Machado, they have Tatis coming up and then all these studs. The rumor recently has been Mejia for JT Real Muto. That's a good trade. Yeah, It's a good trade. Yeah. If you want to win now, it's a good trade because you have a guy in Real Muto for this year and next year. If you can, if you can extend them, great. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, they got Real Muto. They got Manny. They got – uh, Tatis, they have They've become two players. Two players on that and on that Padres team completely changed the outlook of their season and exactly. in, a, in a very competitive division because the D-backs are going to be a little bit down this year. Um, you know, we're not sure what we're going to get from Robbie Ray or or any of the guys that need to step up, even Zach Ranky um, for 2019. You know, we'll we'll see what we get out of them. Um, but I just think the division's already competitive enough with you know with the Dodgers um, and the and the Rockies. So, you know, and the Giants might be a team that's just going to be sneaky good. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I just think if the Padres go and get uh, Real Muto from, from Miami, I, I honestly think they should go get Machado, and, and they're that secret team. And I think Machado to San Diego kind of opens, opens the door for maybe some other guys that have feared to play in that ballpark. So maybe, maybe if they sign Machado, they can sign a – maybe a Keuchel or something too, sure up that rotation and, and bam, now you got a contender team out of the Padres that might've just came out of nowhere last minute in the off season. 11 all-stars with some of those names on it, but not going to exactly. be 2019. And Matt Baum, I think will be good, but he's going to start off slow. When you have an injury, you're about, like, you're, I mean, you know about injuries, you start off slow coming back. Not to say that you're right. not healthy. It's just getting back into the sort of things. Yeah, exactly. You know, his spring training essentially is, is extended. That's exactly. what I like to yeah. say. That's what I like to say when guys get hurt or not themselves, you know, the beginning part of the year. They just got a longer they just got a longer road to recovery and and I think end of the year you saw kind of where Mad Bomb uh definitely sat. So Yeah, exactly. There's one name on my list that's not on y'all's list and he's not even on my top five. He's more in my honorable mentions. Dave knows this. I'm a huge Luke Weaver guy. I think Luke has awesome stuff. I think love it changes. Luke se- Weaver. He's good, I, good I love dude, Luke. Good dude. Dude's got great stuff. I think it changes scenery. Not being in St. Louis to where you have all this pressure on you at all times. Being in that market to where you have guys that have come through like Chris Carpenter, Adam Wainwright. You had a guy like uh, Michaelis start up and have a great year this year. You also have flamethrower Jordan Hicks behind you. There's no longer that. You can learn from Zach Grinky. And you can have an awesome year this year. I think Luke's going to excel in Arizona this year. Yeah, I agree. I think Luke is, is a, not only just a good good person off the field. I, I had the luxury to play with him on, on the collegiate team, um, uh, team, Team USA. So, I mean, he's just got a good head on his shoulders. Guy works, you know, works his tail off. And, yeah, he's got elite stuff. You know, I mean, when he first came up, everyone was kind of blown away, with, you know, him being a little bit undersized. Um to the main mainstream media, I guess you could say, and him being able to to throw the cover off the ball and be able to spin it the way he does is Diamondbacks got a lot of good value, um, and so we'll we'll see here. I think I think the Granky mentorship might help, um, but I don't know how much mentorship uh, you know a, a lot of guys like Granky have who are coming off maybe a down year and um, might be a little bit more focused on himself. But he might be a good guy to watch. Um, you know, at spring training, you know, his work ethic and stuff. So there's always something you can pick up on those veteran guys for sure. So, yeah, I mean, you can always, you can always learn from afar, even if it's maybe not in their face. Some guys are the silent leaders. I mean, anyone that's played sports knows that sometimes the best player on your team maybe isn't the most vocal player on your team, 
Right. And Zach Greinke doesn't strike me as the most vocal guy in the world, but lead by example type person. I mean, uh, I mean, call a hockey reference for you, Patrice Bergeron, you know, yeah. Boston center. I mean, the best defensive forward in the league, no doubt, you know, and, you know, it's very silent, but leads by example, work ethic and just, you know, how hard you work and guys can do that. And I know that being a younger guy, I mean, we're all younger here. I mean, Cole, I'm sure you're going to be, you know, watching from afar and taking some notes on some dudes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying is I, I'm kind of referencing a little bit into insight. What I might do is, you know, I might not be, you know, ear to ear with, you know, say Aaron, Aaron Nola, but, you know, I can watch from afar how he goes about his business and stuff. So I think, you know, just being at, you know, a big league camp with, with the guys like with, you know, to have the stature that Granky does, I think that's just going to pay a lot, pay off a lot. Um, watching from afar and maybe he gets a little bit more tutelage. Um, and we, we know, we might know a little bit more behind Granky if, if he, uh, if Luke comes out and says, Hey, Granky, you know, help me out a lot with this. So maybe he is a good behind the scenes guy. Um, you know, you just, you just don't know. Every team's a little different. You're going to a new organization. You don't want to be the guy that's, um, I feel like you don't want to be the guy that is, is saying too much or asking too much. So, you know, I guess we'll see. We'll see. I think Luke's going to be in a great situation. Again, change of scenery is going to pay out, uh, pay his dividends. And um, I, I think he's going to be a, an elite force for them, uh, at least early in the back end of the rotation. I'm sure he'll be on the front part of that towards the later half of the year. Another guy on that rotation is Robbie Ray. I mean, nobody mentioned Robbie Ray in their top five coming off his year. You know, you lose Patrick Corbin. Somebody in that rotation is going to have to step up. It's just plain and simple. Right. If they're going to do anything this year, even be respectable, somebody has to back Grinky up, whether that be Luke, whether it be Robbie. Somebody's going to have to do it. Yeah. The whole team's going to yeah, have to that, do it. Yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole team, the whole pitching staff is going gonna, is gonna to have to take that one step forward. And, and uh, I think Robbie Ray, with the year he had, he's going to come back. He's going to come, come out strong. And, um, you know, with, with the confidence he, ca- he, he ended the season with last year. So I think it's a lot of uh, – good things, good, you know, good vibes around him. And, um, you know, and again, Granky is the ace of that staff right now. And um, I think there's a lot of uh, things that he, like I feel like a lot of people are looking at him to make a step forward as well. So I think there's a lot of good things that could be happening with, with um, that rotation. But again, like you said, everyone needs to take a step forward and, and Robbie Ray might be the guy that they're going to lean on the most. Yeah, they might lean on him the most. And, you know, we're not talking about the lineup yet and batters, which is, you know, spoiler alert, that's coming soon later for us. But, you know, they also <laughs> lost Paul Goldschmidt. So, that's how you, you got know, Luke. Really you know, it, it is. It, but that's a big part of the lineup that you miss. So, to have a guy like that be out of there, you know, everyone in the lineup's going to take a step up. Everyone steps up one spot in the rotation. So, it'll be interesting to see how they go with it. But, they're an interesting team. They're a bubble team for me. I feel like how they were with how the Colorado was last year, where you thought they could, they really could do well, but you know everyone's got to take that next step. And you know Anderson, Freeland, they all did, and now we'll see if Arizona can do the same. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, it's great being on the same page with the boys sometimes. <laughs> well, right. you haven't been on the show since you got invited to spring training. So I mean, we told you before the show, but congrats on making uh, making the spring training invite. Yeah, huge yeah. congrats, man. Yeah, thank you guys. I'm excited to go to camp, and you know, like we we're talking about, you know, Luke. Um, you know, how about he's got to take a step forward? Uh, maybe learn from Granky or something. Um, you know, I'm gonna hopefully take a few pages out of um, the rotation this past year's uh, book and kind of watch how 
Rapids, Velasquez, uh, you know, Nola, even even get back into the swing of things with Ikoff when I talked to him at the end of last season. Um, sorry, I'm throwing right now. Uh, but that, that's the know, greatest thing ever. I was like, I, his sound, right I think now. he's throwing. <laughs> that's a baseball glove. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, I think things are going to be great. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of pick the brain of, of a couple of our starters and, and who knows, maybe we do get Dallas Keuchel and I get to kind of, you know, spitball with him a little bit about, you know, what it's like to attack hitters from a, from a guy that, you know, gets a lot of ground ball outs, gets a lot of guys, you know, out with induced contact and, uh, which is kind of where I, I sit in terms of my pitch ability. So, you know, again, I'm going to have to take a step forward too this year. And um, I'm excited to kind of get to know some of the guys that I didn't meet last year. So it'll be fun. Yeah, no, that's, it will be fun. And uh, we're looking forward to it. And we'll be following along and everything like that. Quick, uh, quick question. You got AirPods in right now? Oh, absolutely. So the biggest flex of the year is Cole calling from practice throwing with his airpods in throwing probably 90 miles an hour down the pipe right now ultimate multitask we don't if we don't pump if we don't pump that up and tell everybody i don't know what we're doing this is this is just catch play right now we're just we're just having a little catch play it's a nice little afternoon here over at la habra high school shout out to john southern you know the head coach that i'm playing catch with right now um no i had i had to do it you know but uh yeah no I'm, i'm excited you know i love coming on the show and talking talking baseball with you guys i mean it's it's really harmless to be able to just talk talk the best sport in the world, in my honest opinion. It might no. be slow to some people, but, I mean, this is the best sport in the world. So the fact that we get to come on once a week and, and talk baseball, that's that's all I care about. So that's, that's going to be – that's fun for me. 